I would share a little cartoon just to get us in the mood today. We are continuing on in our series uh, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Um, maybe today would be more fitting in a pit with a lion on a rainy day. So, are you guys alive today? Just wave at me or shake your hand or pinch your neighbor or something, right? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, you know what? Normal people run from lions, right? They don't chase lions. Lion chasers are wired differently. When King David ruled Israel some thousands of years ago, he surrounded himself with some of the mightiest warriors in, the, in all of Israel, and they came to be known as David's mighty fighting men. And what such man was Beniah. And in 2 Samuel chapter 20, it gives us insight into who Beniah was. It says, Beniah was the son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, and he performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. So if you're visiting with us today, our series is not really literally about chasing lions. Uh, no one needs to go to the zoo and jump the fence and try to pet the lion. Uh, please don't do that. Uh, Matthew, you can. I give you permission. All right. The rest of us, probably not so much. Uh, so, um, But uh, this series is really about us bravely chasing life's opportunities. The truth is, is a lot of times we miss opportunities in life because we're scared of losing what we have. We're scared of taking risks. We're scared of outcomes. And so this series is really all about learning attributes that will help you and I be lion chasers um, when life's opportunities come roaring at us. And last week, just by way of recap, we learned the very first um, attribute of a lion chaser is that lion chasers learn how to defy the odds. In life, odds are rarely in our favor. If you do something for God, trust me, the odds are probably not going to be in your favor. The deck is going to be stacked against you. But oftentimes, uh, odds are rooted in man's understanding and man's thinking and man's potential outcomes. And what we fail to realize is that God doesn't think like we think. Praise the Lord for that. That God thinks in a higher way. Isaiah told us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then the Lord begins to uh, give us an analogy of just how far our thinking is. And he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, which is pretty far. We talked about that last week. So are my ways higher than man's ways, and my thoughts are higher than man's thoughts. And we understood that if we are ever going to learn to be a lion chaser, if we're ever going to defy odds, then we have to stop placing our faith in man's predictions and stop placing our faith in our own estimations and start placing um, our faith in an omnipotent God. So today I want to look at a second attribute of a lion chaser. This is one that is called facing fears. Facing fears. 
On that day, Benaiah found himself face to face with the lion in a pit on a snowy day. And I am betting that he wet himself just a little bit. I know I would have. You guys don't have to admit that you would have too. But listen, chasing a lion is a little bit scary. I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. One-on-one in a pit with a lion has to be a little bit uh, just just flat-out terrifying. Think about it for a second. They're terrifying at the zoo. I remember uh, taking our kids to a zoo when they were little, and um, the lions were were on the enclosed, like in the building. They were on the inside, um, still behind a cage, but that, that lion was just roaring. And when he did, it felt like the walls of the whole place were shaking. It was that powerful. I don't know who you are in this place, but sometimes life's opportunities are just as terrifying as a lion. Don't tell me that taking a new job isn't just a little bit scary. It is. Don't tell me that buying a house isn't a little bit scary. It is. Don't tell me graduating high school and moving on to the next phase in your life isn't just a little bit scary. It is. Um, Don't tell me that going to the dentist's office isn't a little bit scary. I threw that in because I went to the dentist's office this week. I hate the dentist's office. That is is one step above um, Hades for me. Right? Like, on my... Like, like if, if I'm ever bypassing, um, you know, uh, what's David called? Um, the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death. I believe there's a dentist's office that, right there. Um, I don't like the dentist's office. In fact, as I'm going through that, just the routine cleaning, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like oh, this place is not getting a second date. I'm not coming back. That's how much I did not like it. But nevertheless, I was like Benaiah, and I faced it. So I know it doesn't look quite as good as a lion, but I'm going to take it. Just like Benaiah overcame his fear of a lion, we can overcome our fears. And, uh, and if you're here today, I have some really bad news to start out my sermon. Because the only way to overcome our fears is not by taking a pill. I wish we could take a pill and relieve ourselves of fears. Some of you do that. It lasts for a short time. Those fears come back. Some of you think the answer to overcoming fears is in a little bottle called liquid courage. It is not. That is liquid stupidity. All right. It's not found in doing the opposite. I wish it were. I wish that doing the opposite would cure us of fears. So if you have a fear of snakes, which some of you probably do, your cure is not to move to the city. You'll just acquire a fear of rats if you do that, right? Uh, So very rarely in life is the answer to overcoming fears, the opposite, a pill, a drink. The bad news for you today, church, is the only way to really overcome our fears is to face them. You have to learn to deal with that which you're afraid of. And if you face them in small 
inoculations, then one day you'll be immune to them. So today I'm going to look at five steps that you can take towards overcoming your fears. Five steps you can take to overcoming your fears. And the first step that I want to take today is to have an understanding that fear is natural. Having fear is natural. It's normal. Everyone has fear. You're not abnormal because you have fear. You might be abnormal for a whole lot of other reasons, but having fear is not one of them. Everybody has fear. Fear is defined by Merriam-Webster as the most general term that implies anxiety and usually a loss of courage. So if you've ever felt like you don't want to do something and you have stress over doing something, you might have experienced fear. Research has shown that all people, regardless of race or gender, all people are born with two basic fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And so if you think about a baby coming into this world, they only have two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And if you're a parent and you remember back to when your child was small, that sounds about right, doesn't it? They're born with those two fears. That means that all other fear is learned or conditioned in us. And I've come to know that some people in our world have some pretty crazy fears. I did a little research today, and I'm not going to list every phobia that's out there. There is too many. But here's a few. A movie come out just a few years ago called Arachnophobia. When I say a few years, I mean like 30. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's just how old I am, I guess. Arachnophobia is a fear of spiders, right? We all got that one. Very good. Acrophobia is a fear of heights. Don't know if anybody in here has a fear of heights. I did not think I did until I did a um, high ropes course with my daughter. And um, of course I was, you know, strapped in on the cable and everything, but I had to walk this like little tightrope thing. And my legs were just a shaking. And that rope was going like this. And I could not stop my legs from shaking. I, I, I didn't think I had fear, but obviously I must have. Uh, hope I pronounce this right. Um, achmophobia is a fear of needles or pointed objects. Numerophobia, the fear of numbers. Like, and I had to look that up. Not like giant ones or O's that are going to fall on your head. This is like a fear of doing math. Like you just hate doing math and you fear any problem where you might have to do math. So the checkbook, yes. So uh, uh, Mirma, uh Myrmecophobia is a fear of ants. Here's one I found interesting. Um, uh, Ephibiphobia is a fear of teenagers. Avoid them at all costs, right? This is actually, I think, uh, more in older people, and they feel like teenagers are just unrelatable, and they don't understand that generation. 
And so they would rather steer clear of all teenagers. Electrophobia. I threw this one in here for you, Val. This is a fear of chickens. So some people might have chickens chase them around. Nomophobia. This is a, a recent one. Fear of being without your smartphone. So I know some certain people that have a fear of that. Anxiety. Where's my phone? What's the first thing you reach for in the morning? Your phone. Right? Some of you are like, no. Phone comes after coffee. I wonder if there's a fear of not having coffee. Some of you might have that. There's panophobia, the fear of everything. So most of those, we would say, those are pretty irrational fears. Most of you and I probably don't have a whole lot of irrational fears, although you and I might have a couple of them. Research has showed that you and I probably will have one of these, or maybe multiple of these, seven common fears that play out in our lives. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you how they play out. And the first fear belongs to the procrastinator. The procrastinator often obsesses over the end product or the outcome or whatever they're doing. They insist on being perfect. Because of this, they, they tend to spend too much time planning and researching instead of simply diving in. They're, feel they are fearful of diving into something unprepared. Don't know if you know any pastors like that, but I know one. Connie, Connie says, that just nailed me, <laughs> right? I read that this week, and I'm like, um, I'm probably a little more guilty than I want to admit. The rule follower. Quite literally, this person is dedicated to following the distinct rules and guidelines set by those around them. And they fear not following precedent. You guys ever know anybody like that? You guys ever have a wife that tells you, hey, you can't park there. Then they get like all, is it just me? You can't park in the handicapped spot. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. But when it's a crowded venue, I always try to squeeze in on the end somewhere. You can't do that. That's the rule follower. Number three, the people pleaser. Struggles with the fear of being judged and worries about disappointing other people. Number four, the outcast. The outcast is tricky because they feel fearless on the outside, but on the inside, their biggest fear is that of rejection. And so oftentimes they reject everything around them to avoid being hurt. They think if I hurt someone else first, then I don't have to be hurt. Number five, the self-doubter. Dominated by the fear of not being good enough. Those who self-doubt tend to feel insecure about their capabilities. The excuse maker. They have a fear of taking responsibility for themselves. And instead of stepping up and leading every once in a while, they uh, let everybody else leave it, uh, lead. They take a back seat as to avoid any type of accountability. The pessimist struggles with the fear of adversity and hardship due to past trauma or past difficulties. And they play the victim card. And anything that's too hard or too difficult usually acts as a stop sign to, to where they don't go any further. 
So if you were honest with yourself today, I'll bet you you probably identify with one or maybe a couple of those. We've all experienced fear because fear is a human response to both real and imagined variables around us. If you open up your Bibles and you look at fear, the Bible does not explain to us where fear comes from. It has no origin story for fear. It just accepts fear as a rational human emotion. But again and again, the Bible encourages us to overcome our fear. Fear is spoken of 500 times in the Bible. And the phrase fear not is commanded 103 times in the King James Version. So the first step in overcoming fear is to realize, hey, fear is normal. Everybody has fear of some, of some type. So the second step I want to take us, it's not a gigantic leap here. Satan wants, us to, uh, Satan wants to use our fear against us. If our fear is a learned behavior, which it is, then we certainly have thoughts, circumstances, or ideas that trigger them. And that's how Satan works and operates in our lives. And he conditions us with fear to keep us stationary in defeat. There was a Russian uh, scientist by the name of Ivan Pavlov. You guys have probably heard of this. He did experiments with dogs, and so he became famous. But um, he noticed that dogs um, are like men. We salivate when there's food around, right? So he has this observation. These dogs are salivating at dinner time because of food. And so he wanted to see if he could condition these dogs. And so what he did was he introduced a bell at dinner time. And this bell would symbolize dinner time. And every time there was food, the bell rang. Well, then he eventually took away the food, and he just rung the bell to see if the dogs would salivate, not to the food, but to the sound of the bell. And he was very successful. He found that he could condition dogs. And so it is in life's opportunities with you and I and with our enemy, the devil. Because I think Satan has realized that he doesn't have to defeat you and I every single time God presents an opportunity for us. No, he just has to condition us ahead of time as to not pursue those opportunities. And the tool that he uses is fear. So I want to look at a story in the Bible that illustrates this. Luke chapter 22. This is a story about Peter, and Peter there is, um, it's uh, right at that time where Jesus is being arrested, and, and uh, all the disciples are scattering, and Peter is really distraught, and Peter is just coming off one of those high moments where, um, where Jesus had told him he's going to betray him, and Peter's like, no, never, I'm with you to the end, I'll never fall away. Um, and then this is a sad story, it's a sad moment in Peter's life. Verse 54, I'll start reading. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when some, were, um, some there had kindled a fire in the, the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. And he said, Woman, I don't know him. 
A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. He said, man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So in our story, Peter denies the Lord three times. This was maybe the most uh, terrible moment in Peter's life. And my question in reading this story is, did the rooster crowing continue to act as a trigger that kept Peter remembering his failures and immobilizing him from moving forward? My suspicion is yes. I bet every time Peter heard a rooster crow, it was a painful reminder of his failure. Now, growing up, I don't have too many roosters uh, where we lived. So I wasn't accustomed to this. But I went on a mission trip to Haiti just a few years ago, and we were staying on this compound there um, in the luxurious accommodations, uh, you know, bunk beds with mosquito nets and all of that stuff. A, a, a soldier guarded our barracks at night. But everyone knew there was a rooster because when daylight hit, and when I'm talking daylight, I mean like it was like 4.30 a.m., this rooster crowed. And this city boy did not realize that the rooster doesn't just crow once. Right? How many of you guys live in the country or have roosters or you're on a farm? That rooster crows all morning long. And we thought the rooster was demon-possessed. Everyone wanted to have chicken, chicken for lunch. You know what I mean? We're like, that rooster is killing us. When is it going to shut up? And the rooster just crowed and crowed and crowed. And I wonder if every time that rooster crowed or Peter would hear a rooster crow, it would remind him of the time that he denied Jesus. It would remind him of his failures. And I think this is how Satan conditions you and I. We remember our failures. And there's things that he brings up in our mind time and time again. And there's triggers. And someone might say something small that, that triggers something within us to bring us fear, to bring us anxiety. And, and, and because we're conditioned that way, a lot of times it, it prohibits us from chasing the opportunities that God wants us to chase. So if we're able to take baby steps to overcome fear, first we need to realize fear is normal. Satan wants to condition our fears to immobilize us. But here is a good, solid third step that I want to take today. Realize that Jesus wants to reprogram our reflexes. See, if we are to never overcome our fears, where does that leave us? It leaves us standing still, doesn't it? 
It paralyzes us to a fixed position. And that's where Satan wants you and I in the kingdom. In a fixed position to where he doesn't have to worry about us. He doesn't have to fight us because he knows we're unwilling to step any further. If Benaiah would have succumbed to fear on that day, he would have never fought the lion. And subsequently, he probably would have never, never gotten a job as bodyguard to King David. See, the moment you and I accept Jesus into our lives, God starts reprogramming the way that we think. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12 too, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's rewiring us. I call this a spiritual defragmentation. This is an old computer term. Now, I have a Mac, and I love my Mac. My Mac does not need to be defragmented. But in the old days, if you had a PC, occasionally you would have to defrag your hard drive. How many of you old-timers know exactly what I'm talking about, right? See, when you would load a program on your computer, how many of you guys just never worried about that? You just threw the computer away, right? <laughs> That's probably most of us. It's probably more accurate. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the older days, what would happen is, is um, you would download programs on your computer, and your computer would take that because of the way it would store files. It would put some over here and some over here and some over here and some over here. And then... Um, as you're pulling up those programs, it would have to pull from all these different places to load your software. So the more that you load, the more that it would slow your computer down and all of that stuff, if that makes sense. Chad's an IT guy. That, that's pretty correct, right? So what people would do is they would defrag their hard drives, and that would retrain your computer on how to think. And it would put all of the like files together so that it could just be pulling um, from a certain area and it could make them better. And this is what Jesus does to us. Jesus wants to overhaul how you and I think. If you read any of Jesus' teachings, he does this time and time again. Um, and he uses the phrase, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. He's reprogramming the way we think. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. He's reprogramming how you and I think. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I'll tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's reprogramming how we think about sin. Matthew 5.43 You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, the Lord is reprogramming how you and I think. He's defragging us. He says, if you want to be first in the kingdom then you need to be last. First at the table is last. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He tells us that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to be servant of all. The greatest is the servant. He's reprogramming how you and I think. And so make no mistake about it, 
Jesus goes out of his way to defragment Peter and reprogram the rooster conditioning. In John chapter 21, I want to look at there real quick. Jesus had already been crucified. He had already been dead. He's already resurrected. His disciples are completely lost. John chapter 21, they're out on a boat fishing, which, by the way, is the job they had before they met Jesus. So they're going back to their old job. And in John 21, verse 4, it sets the scene. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now let me ask you a question. What, type of the, what time of the day do roosters crow? In the morning. In the morning, Jesus is coming to Peter. It's not by mistake that Jesus sets up his appointment with Peter in the morning. And Jesus yells to them that are out on the boat, and he says, friends, haven't you got any fish? And they say, no, we've been fishing all night. We still have caught nothing, which is much like how I fish. And he tells them, well, friends, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And, of course, they cast their net on the other side of the boat. And there's so many fish there that they could barely pull up the, the hull. And they realize that this isn't just a man that's on the shore, that this is Jesus. And so they're excited, and they turn that boat around, and they're, they're taking that boat into where they can get to Jesus. But Peter's too impatient. And Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter swims to the shore to meet Jesus ahead of time. And they have a meal there together. And in verse 15, Jesus has this conversation with Peter in the morning. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So now why do you think that Jesus asked Peter, Three times if he loved him. And each time he gave him an opportunity to serve. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. It's because Jesus was reprogramming the way that Peter thinks. Peter's fears kept him on the boat. But Peter's love for Christ motivated him to forget his fear. And God ultimately gave him a lion to chase. Peter's lying to chase, feed my lambs. That's your opportunity. My friend, Satan wants to use your fears against you. He wants you to keep doing what you've always been doing. But Jesus came to reprogram us, to reprogram how we think. And God reprograms you every time you open up your scripture and you read your Bible. Because you are learning God's thoughts, not your thoughts. Every time you pray, you're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I, I need you, not me. That is a reprogramming. 
Every time we worship the Lord and, and we put on our fight song, God is reprogramming us. In fact, your fight song oftentimes leads us to chase lions. The fourth step that I want to look at today is that we remember that God constantly encourages us to overcome our fears. God constantly encourages us to take those steps forward. Overcome your fears. Let's take a little journey through scripture real quick today. And um, you're not going to have time to, to read, all, read all these. I jotted them down there on the PowerPoint behind me. Maybe you could just jot down the reference and then go back. Isaiah 41, 13 says this. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. I love that verse, that God holds our hand with us. It says, fear not. Deuteronomy 3.22, you shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Praise the Lord that we have someone fighting our battles for us. Joshua 8.1, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all your fighting men, arise, go into Ai. See, I've given um, the king and his people, his city and his land uh, to you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Jeremiah 42.11, do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Isaiah 43.1, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Praise the Lord. Matthew 10, 26, so have no fear for them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Matthew 10, 31, fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And we'll end it with Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, and guys, I didn't even read an exhaustive list. This is just a few of the verses. Again and again, through all of scripture, God tells us, fear not, because I am with you. Wherever you go, I am with you. Fear not. I don't need to really explain anymore. All of scripture has this reoccurring theme. Fear not. And it works like this because I am a parent. And one of my jobs as a parent is to help my kids get over irrational fears. When they're growing up, they were learning to ride bicycles. And uh, just like every kid, uh, you fall down every now and then. And what happens? You, you get... Um, a scrape and just like uh, you know my mom and dad used to do to me you, you get out the band-aid and you get out um, we had in those days what was called Bactine like I don't even know if they still make that Bactine is like I don't know it's like turpentine or something I don't know it just burned when it went on 
all right? You put that stuff on it, disinfect it, throw the Band-Aid on there. But sometimes, you know, kids are a little bit leery about getting back on that bike, right? I don't want to get back on the bike out of fear that I will skin my knee again. But that's not my role as a parent. If I allow my kids to never get back on that bike, they will never overcome that fear, and they'll have an irrational fear of riding a bike the rest of their life. And so as a parent, my job was to help my kids and say, you know, you can do it. I, I have faith in you. I have trust. I'm going to be by your side through this. I will actually hold on to the back of the bike while you are riding. And that's what God does with us to help us get over our fears. God is with us. I've also learned that being a parent and having, peers, uh, having kids, um, uh, helping them overcome their irrational fears, but my kids help me overcome my irrational fears. Because uh, it works opposite too. I, I have three kids, you guys know all three, and um, I will, I rarely talk about my middle son Moses, but I will today. Hopefully that's okay, Mo. But Moses, by far, was my most fearless child. By far. And I remember uh, at a baseball game in the bleachers, Moses jumped off the top of the bleachers, was about eight feet tall, to the ground, which is a pretty amazing feat for like a four-year-old. I remember Moses going off his first high dive at the, at the city pool when he was about five or six years old. A little guy, could barely, you know, clean up the, the ladder to get up there. And I thought for sure, that, that boy's coming down. No fear. Jumped right off into the deep section of the pool. I remember getting our first little four-wheeler. And my son Moses knew all about the throttle and nothing about the brakes. He still drives like that. And the fear wasn't in him. He had no fear. I had fear as a parent. And I realized that in life, sometimes our fears are not our own. Our fears are because of people that we love around us. And we're fearful for them. And even in those situations, as a parent, I have to take a step back and put them into God's hands. And say, God, you protect them. They're yours. So it works both ways. This leads me to the last step that I want to talk about today. If you and I are to overcome our fears, we need to take baby steps to overcome them. We need to learn that having fear is normal. Satan wants to use our fears to immobilize us. God wants to reprogram how we think. God constantly encourages us to overcome our fears. Lastly, the greatest experiences in life lie on the other side of our greatest fears. If Benaiah were here today, and we'd ask Benaiah, Benaiah, what were your greatest experiences in life? He would probably tell us, the greatest experiences that I had in life was killing two of Moab's greatest warriors. 
It was killing an Egyptian with his own spear. It was chasing a lion down into a pit on a snowy day. Those things look awesome on a resume. I'm sure he probably put all three of them down when applying for King David's bodyguard. These are my greatest experiences that I've had in my life. But if we were to ask him the same question, or a different question, we were to ask him, hey, Beniah, what were your three greatest fears in life? The times when you were terrified. I'll bet you he would say the same three. The time when I fought two of Moab's greatest warriors. The time when I fought a giant Egyptian, and he had a spear and I only had a club. The time when I chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. See, oftentimes our greatest experiences come from our greatest fears. And if Benaiah is anything like me, he probably had some awesome stories to tell. He probably polished those stories and waxed them up. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? He probably had some awesome stories at the, at the water cooler, at work. I can imagine in King David's courthouse, all the mighty fighting men are there, but he's there, he's there waxing, telling them how ferocious that lion was. Most lions are 500 pounds, but guys, I swear this one was about 550, right? His fangs, he, he had me deadlocked in his eyes. I can imagine when the grandkids come over to his house and he has the lion skin mounted over the fireplace. And they're saying, Grandpa, tell us about the lion. Tell us about it again. And he gets a big old smile. And he tells that story again and again and again. It was me on a snowy day in a pit with a ferocious lion. The odds stacked against me. All I had was a spear, but I overcame. What incredible stories to pass on. Our greatest fears in life often become our greatest testimonies, our greatest experiences. I want to end by showing you a video clip a movie that came out a few years ago. Um, it's from a movie called We Bought a Zoo. And, um, and it's about a man's struggle to reclaim his life and put his life back together after he loses his wife to cancer. And, uh, and he chases opportunity. Brock, if you want to go ahead and, and play that clip. Do you remember what you told me when I was a kid? You only have to be courageous for 20 seconds. It has guided me my entire life. All right, ladies first, where are we going? Now hang on, so, okay, stop. She was right there. This is the moment where both of you became a possibility. I love that you're telling stories again. This is the story before the story. This is where you and you begin, because this I met your mom. She was sitting right there in that chair. Hang on. 
Hey, hey. So, I was walking by, and I saw, and I literally stopped like this, just stopped, and went, that is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my entire life. But I've never done anything like this. I'd never gone and talked to a total stranger before, but she was right there. And so I thought to myself, 20 seconds, right? Go. Now I'm in the restaurant. And I'm terrified, thinking about leaving. I can actually touch her. She's right there. She still hasn't seen me. And I still have 15 seconds of courage left. I'm going for it. Bravery. Here's what I said. I said, excuse me. I won't. Hey, Mommy. Why would an amazing woman like you even talk to someone like me? the worship team to come with me and I love that video because it demonstrates what one moment of courage can lead to and if you're here today maybe there's something in your life that you've been dealing with and maybe there's an opportunity in your life that you've been putting off I know today that we can think of a million reasons why not to chase our lion there's a million reasons why we shouldn't do it. But you know what? We only really need one reason to do it. One reason to chase our opportunities. Because God told us to. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment with me? And maybe you're here today and you find yourself identifying with one of those fears. Maybe you're a procrastinator and you keep pushing things off and pushing things off and it's kept you standing still because you're fearful of all the work that's involved or fearful of not having a good enough plan or having enough resources or it not turning out how you want it to. Maybe you're here today and you're a rule follower and you don't move forward because you're afraid that you won't do it right or you won't do it perfect or you won't do it to the letter of the law. Maybe you're here today and you're a people pleaser. 
And you don't move forward and you don't step out in faith because you're afraid of being judged by others. And you worry what other people will think. Maybe you're here today, you're the outcast. And you fear being rejected. And this fear has kept you from chasing opportunity. Maybe you're the self-doubter. And you don't trust your own self or your own abilities. And you make excuses why you won't move forward. Maybe you're here today and you're the excuse maker. And you, you don't want to accept any more responsibility. You'd rather just take a back seat and let other people lead. Let other people do it. Maybe you're here today and you're just the pessimist. And you're too busy feeling sorry for yourself. And you won't get past the hurt you feel as a victim. Would today be your day of liberation? I wish today that I could give you a pill and that you could overcome all of your fears. But it cannot, it doesn't work that way. The only way to overcome our fears is to step towards it. And so today in this place, in this moment, you make a conscientious decision that today is the day I'm going to step towards it. I'm going to step towards that thing I've been putting off. Step towards that thing I know God's been calling me to, but I've been avoiding. Step towards the lions. Step towards overcoming your fears. today in this place, God. Lord, would we learn to overcome our fears. Rational and irrational. Lord, help us to know that that your spirit that lives within us set us free. It reprograms, it reconditions, it transforms us by the renewing of our mind. So that we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be entrapped. We don't have to be slaves to our fear. But we can be overcomers in your name. Now, church, today, by way of commitment, would you stand with me? And I want to spend a few moments of prayer and worship today. Would you pursue the lion chased before you? altars are open if you would like prayer if you'd like to give it to the Lord but let's just end with a time of dedication